Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I do I'm get pimped. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Is Jerry's mic on? Go ahead and turn it on. He's prattling on. Yeah, he's as over we there. Come he's in. Like he's trying to turn this into a one-hour salty sully. I think <laughs> segment doesn't take much. This is the I'm Tim uncomfortable Graham down show. here. What? I'm uncomfortable in this seat. You so want to come down here? I'll trade Which you. Which is my seat. Now, I don't know. Ahead. Now we're right back to where we used to be. Me interrupting you. That's fine. The, That's the why flow. I brought you in. Yeah, yeah. That's why I brought you in. Aren't you lucky? It's great radio. Yeah. This is the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, and as you've heard, that's Jerry Sullivan of The Jerry Sullivan Show, also here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan, and of the Niagara Gazette, and of the Associated Press. I'm of a lot of things. Right, just like Jonah Bronstein. Sullivan Enterprises. You're competing. You guys should should talk to CTBK about a merger... And come up with your own firm, Bronstein and Sullivan. Or what sounds better? Sullivan and Bronstein and Sullivan sounds better. Isn't we tried it? to merge for this weekend to cover the Cleveland Browns Buffalo Bills game, but it didn't work out. If we had CTBK negotiating that, probably would have worked. <laughs> we should have yeah. had that. We should have called up Gene Kirshner. Gene Kirshner picked the winner of the uh, Breeders' Cup last week. Wow. He had it right here on the air. Did he make out? Well, I, he might have bet on the horses. I would hope so. <laughs> I think so. You watch The Handmaid's Tale at all? No, no. I'm aware of it. I know what you're. It's like the women, the, the handmaids who have to have to be impregnated by the rich guys. That their names are like of George, of Tim, of Bob. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What does that have to that? do with anything? Because uh, you kept I'm of this, I'm of that, I'm, and oh, you, kept you. Saying, I'm of this, of that, and yeah, and it's of all the women are of some guy. You know, that's the society that that, that they've evolved into. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic is here also, my teammate. Jonah Bronstein of uh, Bronstein Consolidated. Bobby Rosati diddling it up. The Athletic is of Matthew Fairburn. Did you ever think of that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I should be kissing your ass a little bit more, I think. (laughs) Got that review coming up. Review? Oh, sure. We're a regular company. We get get reviewed. reviewed. Of course. Well, you didn't get reviewed at the news because we're a a union shop, and they didn't have the right to review us. Uh, you ever notice that problem? Mm. Did I never have a review? I'm, this is dawning on me. I, I guess I never did. Yeah. Explains a lot. Yeah, it does. <laughs> there were other for- forms of review. It just wasn't official. Two seventy, twelve seventy. <laughs> if you want to call in and comment on whether or not Buffalo News reporters should be reviewed. Anybody? Uh, pregnant to pause think of there. Funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was just waiting to see if anybody wanted to jump in. You get reviewed at the Niagara Gazette, I think, Jerry. I know I went through a couple of those. I don't think they review anything over there anymore. They can't if you afford pay, it. You get <laughs> a nickel raise. to pay raise. for the movies and the <laughs> books. Bad. You get gonna... a nickel an hour raise if you pass. Listen to this. We have a loaded is, show is today. It already devolved into this. Mike Rodak 
of AL.com. That's not the American League. That is Alabama.com, which is, of course, where you'd expect to read all of Mike Rodak's work as of, what, six months ago, to know that Mike Rodak is at Alabama.com. But it's a great day to have him on because LSU-Alabama, number one versus number two this weekend. And also, just last night, former UB coach Nate Oates makes his debut with Alabama and loses to Penn. A big loss. I'd like to hear what's going on on the Alabama They're already questioning today. this guy, you know, oh boy. from Buffalo yeah. or whatever. So we'll hear from Mike Rodak. We're going to hear from uh, Mike McDonald, Damon men's basketball coach, and we're going to talk about the landscape in Western New York basketball. He's already faced UB as in an exhibition, Syracuse in an exhibition. He can also talk to us about the Ivy League. He has a great uh, uh, knowledge of what's been going on in the Ivy League. He had a son uh, played at Penn, right? Just graduated. Penn at Penn. And, and what's going to happen at UB? UB has a couple of uh, Ivy League opponents coming up here in their uh, non-conference Dartmouth. schedule. Dartmouth and also Harvard, Harvard. who's pretty good. They play him in Toronto next Saturday. So we'll have a lot of basketball talk. Ty Nasecki, Buffalo Bills right tackle, is going to be on the show. He has uh, been a little up and down this season, uh, splitting time with Cody Ford and uh was down to, I believe, 19 snaps uh, for one game, but played every snap in the victory over Washington on Sunday. Ty Nasecki's going to join us, and, uh, of course, on the line from Vegas, it'll be Joel Staniszewski to talk to us about why the Browns at 2-6 and six are favored over the Buffalo Bills, uh, despite the Bills being 6-2. and two. A lot of people, uh, that's a question. Uh, people are borderline outraged over the fact that the Browns could be favored over the Bills. It was a big topic of discussion in the locker room today with various reporters asking the Bills players. In fact, I think you were there I talking did, yeah. to Micah Hyde Mike about, about that. it. Yeah, because he didn't obviously think people were respectful enough of their six and two record, even though their opponents that they've beaten are nine and forty-one. But if you have a five and three versus a three and five, it wouldn't be a big deal. I think it's the fact that it's the Browns and they're a lightning rod for criticism and two six. 0-3 at home versus 6-2, 3-0 on the road. Yeah, you, it's a little surprising that the Bills would be an underdog. But, but not it's all if about you know, reputation. Not if you've watched the games. It's about reputation when it's uh, – because so much of the betting is from the casual better. And when you are picking a game, if you're not from Buffalo or Cleveland, you could still see – well, Cleveland has five or six different fantasy football players, guys mm-hmm. who are in your league or you'd want on your team. How many do the Bills have? One or two? You know, so people, that's how people bet a lot of times. And you want to go back to uh, when the original lines are set. Some of these lines are, are factored in to uh, those, uh, those bets, those prop bets, really what they are. When the NFL releases its schedule back in March or April, whenever it is, and Vegas, for fun, will put a line on every game. And so keep in mind, the, the Browns were the most heavily bet Super Bowl team. Right. Uh, so people have been betting on the Browns. They have a reputation. And so the idea of just the Bills on the road against the Browns, I think it's just it's a reputation thing. But Joel Staniszewski, he'll, he'll explain that to us uh, when he joins us uh, later in the show. Uh, the Browns uh, seem to be putting a scare into Bills fans, uh, and I think justifiably. But where is anybody? Matt, we'll start with you. You're out there at practice today, and you've been you know writing stories. You're, you're penning them as we as we speak almost, uh, regarding this weekend's game. Your thoughts on the Browns as a dangerous opponent? I think they are pretty dangerous. I think a spread like that 
And a game like this shows you just how close the difference can be between six and two and two and six. It, it's pretty crazy to think that the Browns are that much worse record-wise when, I mean, their schedule has been tough. They've been on the road a lot. Uh, not that they've played a great deal better at home, but they've played some tough teams. They have a surprisingly good defense and a surprisingly bad offense um, in terms of the name recognition is almost all on the offensive side of the ball with Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt coming back this week, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, and yet it's defensively where they're, I think, probably even more dangerous. And if they can keep this game uh, low scoring the way they have, I mean, the defense, if not for some turnovers and you know defensive touchdowns from the Patriots a couple weeks ago, they slowed the Patriots' offense down to just a couple of touchdowns. So um, I feel like that's where the concern should be. It's it's a big road test, probably one of the biggest road tests they've had, and it's a, a tough test for an offense that, frankly, still hasn't really gotten going. And a defense that has shown vulnerabilities against lesser-than opponents. When you get destroyed pretty much by Philadelphia – and then the other two games in which the Bills should have won easily based on the talent level and, and what each team has going for it, the, uh, the game against Miami, the game against Washington. And if you're a Bills fan, you're holding your breath in the fourth quarter against each of those teams as to whether or not you're going to hold on for this victory. Um, I look at the Browns as just a totally superior team to, to Miami or, or Washington. You're talking about uh, giving up 100 yards by halftime to Adrian Peterson, what's going to happen with Nick Chubb? And you think that maybe even throwing in that wrinkle of Kareem Hunt might help the Bills because now the the Browns are trying going to try to figure out how they split their backfield or whatever, try to find some rhythm. Uh, do they have time to do that? I don't know. Freddie Kitchens is desperate. Is he going to try to shoehorn Kareem Hunt into this offense before he's ready? Maybe that helps the Bills, but I think that the Browns – despite being two and six, are the most talented offense that the Bills have faced yet this year, and they have struggled just relatively recently come, you know, since their bye against the Dolphins and Washington. That's a low bar, the offense that they, they face. You want to go through the six quarterbacks they've beaten? One had mono, three lost their jobs after playing the Bills, one was making his first start, and the other one was Ryan Fitzpatrick. So whatever you want to say about Baker Mayfield, he might be the best quarterback they've faced so far despite everything. I've gone around and around in this game, but it comes back to two things. Who do I think is the better quarterback in this spot, and what have the Bills been doing for 20 years in this situation? Now, they got to 6-2 and two for the first time in 20 years, but they almost always lose this game. I can go back two years. They're 5-2. and two. They're going to New York night game against what's considered a pretty bad Jets team and get trampled. McCown outplays Tyrod Taylor. That's what I'll probably end up you know, landing on, that they lose this game. Well, Jerry, let me play devil's advocate on that, because really what's happened in the past shouldn't matter too much, right? It's a totally different front office, coaching staff. These are the, like, this, but this, but again. Red Sox this, fans said that for 86 years. Right. But this is where I'll underscore your opinion. There's a psyche to it, and whether it be from a fan standpoint, and I think it's really what plays into Vegas also. Where, and Again, we'll talk to Joel Staniszewski about that. But to have the Browns be favored in this game and, and Bills fans are scratching their heads, it's because people around the country 
know that these are games the Bills don't win. <laughs> and even though it is the Browns, they do have some household names, uh, and it's easy to pick the Browns in this situation. I'm leaning towards the Browns in this game for the fact that the defense has shown vulnerabilities recently, and as Matt Fairburn said, the Browns' defense is really good, and the Bills have shown an inability to explode against inferior defenses. Right. And so you have to assume, or at least I'm going to assume, that the Bills aren't going to score a lot of points. That means the defense is going to have to throttle a lot of talent. And it was unable to do do so against Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and company and Dwayne Haskins of and, and 34-year-old Adrian Peterson. And they were able to overcome. They outdistanced, they outclassed Washington down the stretch. But Washington had its moments and should not have. I just think this game's all about the Browns. They're reeling, and it's whether they can rally around the adversity and, and the way the season slipped out of control, or do they continue to let that happen, continue to play like their coach is about to get fired. And in that case, it could be another situation where the Bills win a game and we're really not impressed. They get to they got three more games coming up here. They could be 9-2 and two a month from now, and we're still saying, hey, they haven't beaten anybody. Look at who they've beaten. They're the eight worst teams in the league. And I don't know if the Bills can really do much this weekend on Sunday to change that. It has a lot to do with which Browns team shows up and how they respond to the situation they're in. It reminds me a lot of the Eagles game. It's the same situation in terms of the turmoil the other team is facing. But this team is home. But on the other hand, that team had a good coaching staff. You mean Philadelphia? Philadelphia had Peterson. This this guy Kitchens. And Carson Wentz. Yeah, and Carson Wentz, who's... There's no question picking the better quarterback in that game. So it it could get get back to the Browns really are bad and really are ready to just – I've heard they've been quitting in games, so they that's the other side of this. How about this, too? And it's something to think about. You know, Cleveland fans are used to this also. It is not as though this is a Steelers team or New England or uh, – you know, this is like Buffalo's cousin. You have fans who had Super Bowl dreams or at least deep playoff run expectations – and are now two and six. The team's been on the road for a little bit. People will be showing up to that game in Cleveland with bags on their heads. They because they that, that's they don't just me. they don't think that right right. And people are going to insist on it with, with you. It's, and uh, but the fans aren't thinking. All right, we're going to go on a run. And, and this is a Brown, the Browns fans have the same psyche as the Bills fans. They're going to be there ready to boo the hell out of the Browns the minute something goes wrong. And so if the Bills can come up with the play early, or they especially if it's a defensive play, a turnover, mm-hmm. maybe a pick six, whatever, the the Browns fans will be merciless. They're gonna they're gonna want they're they're gonna be hanging kitchens in effigy. Uh and it, it could be a a negative for the Browns that they're at home in this game. Yeah, it's hard to figure out it feels like all season long we've been waiting for the Browns to be the Browns that everybody expected, some sort of explosive offense or just look like they have things together. But they've been so up and down that it's hard to, unlike that Philadelphia team where you thought, all right, they've got a Super Bowl-winning head coach. They have guys who have been there and know how to pull themselves out of this situation. The Browns don't. I mean, they went on a run last season – in the second half, and they've had a pretty brutal schedule. Those are the only two things that make me think this team still has what it takes to turn it around, but Baker Mayfield isn't Carson Wentz yet. He he doesn't have that experience to lean on, and Freddie Kitchens is a long way from Doug Peterson. So that's where this game is tricky. But, I mean, 
the Browns beat the Ravens, like, handily by 15 points. They put up, you know, 28 points against the Seahawks. They played the Rams really tough. They pounded the Jets, who the Bills struggled with. I mean, they've had those moments where you think, you know, they they could certainly – you see why they're favored. You know, you see why people consider this an even game if it were played on a on a neutral field. But I think to Jonah's point, it's really a lose-lose for the Bills because if they lose, everybody says, see, told you. You know, they, they haven't played anybody. And if they win, they say, ah, well – they're about to fire their coach, and they're two and seven. I think it, it's another feather in that nest of, like Sully was saying, of the different quarterbacks that you can say. That. But to me, and maybe fans and analysts and whatever may agree with what you just said, Matt. But, but to me, I think this would be a big win for the Bills. I agree. As strange as it seems, I, because they're an underdog, I guess, and that and that's the the fudge, the fuzziness, uh, how that n- number is fudged, really, as to what are they should they be the underdog and all that stuff. That's a that's a different conversation. But because the Browns represent something, they at least. Uh, they other teams that they play don't rep the Patriots represent something. They'll be eyes Philadelphia on this game represents too, you know? something. Like, the Browns represent something. Washington, Miami, the Jets, none of those teams mean anything. The the Browns what, at two What do the six, Browns represent? They've been one of the worst franchises in the league for They represent they still represent talent. There's the expectations, the fact that it could be, you know, people can say hard luck. Freddie Kitchens is a bum, but there's still uh, the chance to say we beat a really talented team, which is something they haven't done. They haven't beaten talent yet this year. You look at the schedule. You refer to this. You could check it on Football Reference. I believe the Browns have played five of the eight top-ranked defenses in the league so far. And who I haven't played, who is third or fourth, is the Bills. So this will be the sixth out of eight. So they've had a tough, they have had a tough schedule. I think we've got a collision of... Real tough schedule, real easy schedule, 6-2-2-6. Two, two, the odds makers are usually right. I mean, Joel, you could ask him about that. They, they have this as an even game, and and it probably is based, based on talent. Well, the talent of the – you say the Browns have more talent. The Bills have better coaching. But anyway, I think it is a, – it's a tough game to pick, but the Browns could be – it's a big game for the Bills' defense for that reason. Are they that's the equal of the Niners, the Bears, the, the Patriots, or close to it? These other teams that th- three weeks ago we were saying they're they're elite. They could be the best defense, and now we're thinking the way they played against the run, are they in the middle? So this game is a big test for them. Do you have have you given thought to a prediction as to what, what you? I've gone around and around, but I've talked myself into taking the Browns and the Browns to score twenty four because this Bills' defense. The way they played lately, I I can't have faith in them, and I don't have I don't think Josh Allen can go on the road and score twenty five four points. That's where I am too. I, I'm I if I were betting on this game, and I might. Uh, uh, see, Matt and I are driving to Ohio over the weekend, and you have to you happen to pass through that little sliver of Pennsylvania. You see, Jerry, Pennsylvania has mo- mobile wagering. You can do you can bet on your phone in Pennsylvania. So all you Bills fans who are who are caravanning to the game on Saturday or Sunday, feel free to take a rest stop in Erie, get you a Tim Hortons at the one exit there. Or uh, Chick-fil-A. Or a Chick-fil-A. Yeah, uh, Quaker Steak and Lube. Maybe you want to stop there and, uh, you know, place a couple of wagers. Get some action. I might have some action this weekend. But anyways, I like the Browns to cover uh, because of all the things we've discussed. I I think that... 
I think it's a big ask for the Bills' defense when it hasn't shown that it can handle versatile playmaking ability to win the game against uh, a defense that should uh, be able to maintain or to to lock down Josh Allen and Frank Gore and Devin Singletary. Yeah. John Brown. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not meaning to leave anybody out. I think that's why to your point it would be a bit of a statement win. It wouldn't be the same as beating because they don't have that many opportunities for that on their schedule and every one that they've had they haven't really taken advantage of. They'll have the Ravens, the Cowboys, and the Patriots again. I don't know that anybody's expecting them to win any of those games. At the beginning of the year, this was one of those in-between games. Are they going to win it or are they going to lose? Tough game, on the road, really talented team. It may not, to Jonah's point, be a huge statement win because the Browns are a terrible franchise and they have two wins right now. But you'd be sitting there saying, man, 7-2 and two and, you know, handily you know handily or not beating all these teams that they're supposed to beat i think i would feel do. a lot more encouraged about the bills future with a victory this week and it doesn't have to be a big victory it's not no. like if i i wanted to see one of three things over the last three games number one destroy miami number two beat philadelphia however it doesn't matter because philadelphia is a decent team and destroy washington and while they won comfortably in the end it was a one-possession game for much of the fourth quarter. Yeah, it never felt like they were going to lose just because felt Dwayne like they Haskins were in control. wasn't you know, really getting much put, going. They didn't put them away either. They didn't force any turnovers against a rookie quarterback making his first start, and they didn't pull away on offense until two minutes left in the game. I think that's what – I've seen a, a lot of people are upset when you bring up the strength of schedule, right? This isn't college football. They don't need to have strength of schedule. That's not really what it's about. I think the question that everybody should be asking this year, and you should be enjoying a 6-2 and two start, right, regardless of how they got there. Sure. Because they don't do that often. But I think the schedule point and how they're winning, those two things get brought up when you want to take a bigger picture view. Is this sustainable? Are they on the right track to becoming what they say they want to be in a consistent winner? Or... Are they taking advantage of a light schedule and a bad year in the AFC, and this could come crumbling down at any moment? And that's where all of that stuff comes into play. There's a lot of people that get bent out of shape about the schedule being this lazy thing to bring up, but it's really looking forward. It's not talking about what they've done. Six and two is six and two, but are they going to be good in January? Are they going to be good in 2020? It's context. It's, it's valuable right. context. It's, are they a good team? And how good are they depends on who are you playing and how are you playing in those games and who how are you beating these teams. And, I mean, if you look at a ton of, you know, metrics, they're middle of the road as a team and they're playing against a really easy schedule. So and consistently middle of the road. They've performed pretty much the, the same they almost are they every are. week. They're eight games in, right? And mm-hmm. their defense in DVOA is 15th right now. They're an average defense the way that they're playing because they're getting gashed on the ground. And I think to Jerry's point, they haven't played any quarterbacks or beaten any quarterbacks that make you, you know, impressed at what they're doing. Now, I think they can do that mm-hmm. as a pass defense, but um, they have to play the, the those teams to prove that they're better than just, you know, somewhere between 12 and 18 in the league as a team. Matt makes a great point. If their own management doesn't believe they're good enough to make a run in a year where they're two games ahead, 
in the wild card race. How good are they going to be next year? Because that's you you're talking about trade deadline stuff. Yeah, trade deadline. They didn't believe in them this year. A year from now, they're not where Philly was with a second year franchise quarterback, or Kansas City, or even Chicago last year. How good are they? If you can assume you're not good enough, so they they better go out in this off season and in the draft and really do well. Because they're telling us this roster is average. Isn't the fear that they might be where Chicago is? Yes, with a, a, absolutely. With a quarterback who they continue to you know, sort of make excuses for. Maybe they don't, but the public does. And a quarterback who's not developing as quickly as you want and a defense that's propping him up. And then it can come crumbling down. And that's where all of that context, the schedule and how they're winning is important. Because I get it. You want to enjoy the 6-2, and two, then – Enjoy that and ignore the strength of schedule. But if you're wondering, like a lot of people probably are, is Josh Allen the right quarterback? Does this regime finally have this heading in the right direction? Well, six and two isn't your evidence. You know, the, the evidence hasn't been presented yet because we haven't seen them dominate weak teams. We haven't seen them beat good teams. And we haven't seen Josh Allen really put it together the way some other second year quarterbacks have. And I think. The Bears are the perfect cautionary tale because they looked like, wow, they finally got it all figured out out there. And maybe they won't be bringing up Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson in Chicago because Mitch Trubisky looks pretty good. Now Hmm. he doesn't look like he belongs on an NFL field. And Matt Nagy went from being a coach of the year candidate to a guy who's probably on the hot seat heading into the offseason. All right, we got to hit a break here. We're going to get Mike Rodak's thoughts uh, after the break. He's covering the Alabama Crimson Tide now. Uh, For those uh, who haven't followed Mike's career since he left uh, Buffalo to relocate to Birmingham. And uh, he's got uh, information on the big LSU-Alabama game. And also, uh, Nate Oates' debut as Alabama's head coach last night did not go well. And we're going to talk to Mike Rodak about that on the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. We'll be right back on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I really hear voices in my head. Yes, we all hear voices in our head. I can hear the voices in my head again. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And on The Fan's app, free to download in the App Store. Now back to The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic, here with my usual crew of Matt Fairburn and Jonah Bronstein. Jerry Sullivan joining us here in studio. Bobby Rosati, the ever-present producer who holds the Tim Graham Show record for most shows attended. Even more so, more than Tim Graham himself. Bobby missed a sh- one show. I've missed a couple shows because I've been on assignment. Here's a guy who's been on assignment. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline is Mike Rodak of AL.com. Rodak. Oh, oh, play that again. Let's get that. That's that's good. That's old time. It's like old times. Nice. Tormenting the fans. Mike Rodak uh, at AL.com has been covering two teams. And well, it's got to be fun to cover such compelling programs i suppose alabama football alabama basketball with old friend nate oates down there making his uh, season debut how are you splitting your time between the two programs mike well 
first of all, it's kind of disheartening to know that I'm old time already. That's that makes me sad, but that's how things go. Um, yeah, I'm down here, and uh, when you don't have pro teams in a state, all of the attention is is on the universities, and it kind of goes without saying that Auburn and Alabama are the only two here that anybody cares about, and really it's the only two sports anybody cares about either, or football and basketball. I don't think too many people are going to baseball or softball games or whatever. So there's just a lot of attention on that, and football gets 90% of it. Basketball probably gets 10% of it. And if they have a good year and they're going up against Kentucky or Florida, it's probably going to be a little bit more than that. But, um, you know, a lot of my attention is on football. And a week like this, that's mostly what you're writing, and that's what a lot of the website traffic is going to be. But at the same time, you still have – a basketball game to cover or the biggest outlet in the state. And um, it's it's compelling. It was a great game last night. They lost. Not a great Well, tell us about it. Nate Oates, the, the former UB coach, makes his debut with Alabama last night against an Ivy League school, goes up against Penn, and loses with a couple of missed free throws at the end of the game. What's the reaction down there in Tuscaloosa? Because there were expectations. Anytime you bring in a new coach, uh, he's had – uh, success, of course, at UB at the mid-major level. You're bringing him into the SEC. What was what's just the general vibe after that after that result? Well, there's been skepticism from the start about him, even when I was still in Buffalo and he got hired down here, and um, people were reacting to his hiring, not knowing who he was, knowing that he was coaching high school a few years ago, and kind of coming from Buffalo. I mean, that's look. I mean, we we've been on. I've been on both sides of it now. You guys have already been. In, on the Buffalo side of it, that there's not the greatest reputation, not only for the city, but the schools and the teams in some cases. So uh, when they see, you know, a, a Buffalo coach get hired, I think people tend to roll their eyes. And, you know, there's probably some optimism when they really beat up on, uh, on Georgia Tech in their exhibition game. And they come out against Penn, which is a team that, you know, was fourth in the Ivy League last year and shouldn't have been a threat, especially on their home court in Alabama and they lost. And, um, and so the reaction has not been positive. It's been a lot of people saying, you know, more of the same. And this is a team that's only made the NCAA tournament twice in the last 14 or 15 years and had a pretty disappointing run under a much bigger name coach in Avery Johnson. So they bring in a smaller name coach, especially the people down here. And you, you start off like that. And, and obviously people aren't going to be happy. I wouldn't overreact to that. First of all, I haven't watched Ivy league ball lately. But they were upsetting teams in the NCAA tournament on a regular basis five, six, eight years ago. In fact, winning two games. So it's not—it's an underrated level of basketball. But I don't imagine that people in Alabama are ready to hear that. It would be r- ridiculous to judge a college basketball coach on his first game playing with mostly the other guys' players, too. I mean, I, I think I would agree. not to be an apologist for him, but you got to see how if Nate can continue to recruit at the level that he did up here relative to the SEC, and if they're good next year and the year beyond. That's where you really judge whether it's a good hire. Do you sense there's much tolerance or patience uh, at play here, or is this a, I'm not so familiar, and I don't think anybody in this room is so familiar with Alabama basketball as to what the, uh, you know, what the the reputation is right down there on campus or from the fans directly, right? But so I'm I'm asking Mike, is does he sense a patience uh, for Nate Oates, or are they just uh, are they panicking already? I think there's certainly a segment of the fan base that has tried to have patience over the last several seasons. And not having been here, it's hard to exactly gauge sure. you know, where they are in that process. But, um, 
you know, I, I do think they should have more patience than what I sensed last night. And it's interesting, too, because I haven't really covered college basketball, and the press row is really right in the middle of the stand. So you can hear people talking. You can kind of gauge their reaction much better than when you're sitting in a football press box. And they weren't happy. Um, but, again, it's only one game. When the standard is so high for the football team, and and in the world of football and the SEC, one loss is the entire season gone. Sometimes it's hard to reconfigure your brain when you're watching basketball as a fan to understand that one loss in a college basketball season is not the biggest deal in the world. And that's kind of what NATO is trying to say after the game. That well, that's a great point, Mike. Rather... It's, it's reminiscent of Bills or Buffalo fans at the NFL trade deadline. They think they sh- it should be like the NHL trade deadline and uh, let's scramble and, and make you're right. Anyways, I'm sorry, Mike. Sorry to interrupt. No, no. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I sometimes people have to realize that you know it doesn't always carry over from one sport to another, and um, you know that's the primary sport is football. So I think some people kind of have that context in their head when they're watching basketball and the standard in their head, and they probably should. And I'm sure the school wants the basketball team to you know get back to actually competing at the top of the SEC. But um, as Nate said. You don't want to be playing your best basketball in November. You want to be playing it in March. And there were some fans on my Twitter account and on the comments page on our website that were kind of rolling their eyes at that, saying, well, you're not going to be playing in March if you don't win some of these games at this time of the year against mid-major schools. But um, when you have triple the amount of games on your schedule than the football team does, you have a lot more margin for error. We're in conversation with Mike Rodak of AL.com here on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. And, Mike, let's uh, switch over to football. A uh, huge game this weekend. The president is coming. Uh, let's let's start right there. You're you're mm-hmm. going to be cover. Is this the first time you've covered an event that involved the the president? No, in a fact, president. Uh, no, uh, the very president of the United States right now, Donald J. Trump, was in Buffalo. You might remember with uh, Rex Ryan. He wasn't so. the president. <sighs> Now he was the running, but no. Well, I'm talking about. I'm president. not talking about Trump. I'm talking about a president. In that sense, I don't think I have. Oh, it's a big day. Yeah. Now it's interesting because the last game that they played was two weeks ago against Arkansas, and Jerry Jones was there because his grandson plays. He's actually now their starting quarterback on Arkansas. They've kind of run through their first two, and he was in the box right next to us in the press box. And in fact, I was in the urinal line with him in the bathroom to go really deep on that subject. So I'm kind of wondering, probably not that Trump. Is Trump going to be in that same box? Is that where they put their, their VIPs? Is that their, you know, secure location for the most important people in the stadium? And if so, maybe he'll try to get in a bunch of different boxes. Well, typical, but he'll be in the urinal line with him. I, that's that's my issue. Like, there's going to be enough people in this press box to begin with. If they're going to be shutting down an entire bathroom so the president can use the urinal in peace, then that's an issue to me. That's well, I can imagine that that would happen actually. Yeah. If that were if exactly. that were the case, it's you're not going to be in there with them, right? As much as you want to be. be. I mean, Secret Service guys outside that door, and if I need to go at halftime, then there's an issue. He has made allusions to his penis in debates in the past. So so is Mike. Hey, Mike be careful, this guy. I think this is at least the second time we've ended up in the urinal line with Mike Rodak. (laughs) What is it about him? Segments. He always he likes to take us right into the the men's room with him. 
The only urinal story I have, which I've told on the story, is I was once uh, with Gene Simmons at uh, the Coliseum when the Bills played uh, the Rams a couple of years ago. That was my big moment. Uh, But, hey, uh, Jerry Jones is – oh, it's a great story. I'll tell it later. I don't want to. I don't want to take away too much time from your segment here, Mike. But uh, so the Crimson Tide, six and a half point favorites over LSU. Really uh, interesting juxtaposition, for lack of a better word, with all of the different number one teams. There are three different rankings that you can look at. Three different number ones. LSU number one in the Associated Press poll. Alabama number one in the coaches poll. Ohio State, number one in the playoff rankings poll. Um, I guess, Mike, just your thoughts on how this all sorts out, because after Saturday you're going to probably be able – well, not probably, you're going to be able to eliminate one of those teams. Yeah, it's funny because I I probably mentioned this before and the last time I was on the show, but it's it's different in Alabama than Buffalo fan-wise because fans tend to hate positive press. It's very strange, and maybe they take after Nick Saban in that – sense and rat poison and all that but fans almost want you not to talk up the team too much and they hate when Alabama's ranked number one and they love it when there's this slight against them and they're number two or number three in the country and they have a chance to prove themselves that they're still the best um, whereas in Buffalo I think it's if you, if you can be up at the top that's great and I think there's always a chip on the shoulder and anger when when Bills fans aren't seen as nationally relevant so it's kind of the opposite here um so I, I think there's actually a a, uh, a positivity about them being ranked third in, in the college football rankings. But at the end of the day, it probably doesn't matter. They're only going to be relevant for five days here until this uh, this game, and then everything's going to be you know shooken up next week. So Nick Saban said today he hasn't even looked at them. I don't believe that for one minute. Um, but that's sort of the message that he tries to. Uh, put out there that they're irrelevant and um, he doesn't even want to talk to his players about them. Whether that's true or not, I'm not exactly sure. What's it like dealing with Nick Saban and just media in general at a place like that? Is it as repellent as it seems from a distance? I was, uh, I think over time I was pleasantly surprised. The first game that I covered was the New Mexico State game where there's a lot of questions after the game, but you know, why the hell are you playing New Mexico State, which is one of the worst teams in Division One? And he was very defensive about that, and, and very ornery, and sort of what we expected out of Nick Saban. But as time has gone on, he's actually not that bad. And a lot of people do compare him to Belichick. I'm not sure it's a great comparison because Belichick just doesn't say anything. He's not going to tell you anything. And Nick Saban will tell you something. In some cases, if he doesn't like the question, he's just going to kind of moan and, and you know make theater out of it and um, you know make sure he sends a message in the way he answers the question, but he's going to answer the question. And with injuries especially, you get every detail you could possibly want, and you get a, a whole lot of honesty. and That's refreshing, and, and it's probably even to a higher degree with, with Nate Oates. Um, I mean, I think the SID at Alabama – almost tries to get Nate Oates to stop talking because he just goes on and on and on. And These press conferences are too damn long. I'm sitting there at 10.30 last night listening to 20 minutes of Nate Oates, and at some point it's like, all right, it's just one game. You don't need to hear that much. But um, That's after a loss. Even You're going to talk more after they win. Right, and that's – my fingers can't even keep up. I mean, he talks so fast and he talks so long, it's just – it's hard. Um, but the information you get is, is just so much better than – 
even Sean McDermott. You sit and listen to Sean McDermott for 10 or 12 minutes, and your eyes gloss over sometimes, um, and you're not going to get anything. And Saban, Saban's enlightening. And, and even some of these other coaches, too. Ed Orgeron went for 25 minutes in his, his press conference on Monday and can write 2,500 words just on everything he says and the, the um, perspective that he gives. So that's been nice, I'll, I'll say. And it's a lot different than what I've experienced in the NFL. Well, Mike, we've enjoyed having you back to get your thoughts on the, the game this Saturday and or at least the matchup in terms from a ranking standpoint and uh, Nate Oates' uh, debut last night. Uh, we're going to have Mike McDonald on after the break. We'll pass along your regards to the Damon men's basketball coach. Thanks, yeah, sounds good. I uh, I was hoping Rodak. when I heard uh, the announcements of the starting lineups last night, I heard Joe Mahalik. And I was like, oh, I didn't know he's the coach of uh, Penn now, but he's actually it's his son who's the assistant coach. There you go. So, a lot of Buffalo connections there at the game last did night. Did you introduce yourself to Joe Mahalik Jr.? I did not. He was on the uh, the opposite sideline, but I didn't realize. You're allowed to talk to them. To today that, I know. That is nice. Nate Missed opportunity. At me last night. Thanks for that. But, reminds uh, me I'll have to text, text his dad. Yeah, but Mahalik uh, went to St. Joe's. I didn't realize that. Yeah, all the Mahalik boys. Yep. Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, have uh, hope your uh, urinal etiquette is up to snuff. Uh, check up on that. See what you're supposed to do. Uh, try not to make eye contact. I will uh, absolutely do that. That was Mike Rodak of AL.com on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning program at Niagara County Community College. When we come back here on the Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK, we're going to have Damon men's basketball coach Mike McDonald. Coming right back. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Tim's Kitchen Tips. This is my new show. Yes! This show delivers. Delivery's late. It's your ass, not mine. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. The man who we're bringing on next is the reason Jerry Sullivan's in studio. I dropped the name of our next guest. I said, hey, Jerry, you want to come into studio today? And he's like, eh, I don't know. And I said, this guy's going to be on. And Jerry said, I'll be there. You had me at McDonald. <laughs> Mike McDonald joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Mike McDonald is the head coach of the Damon men's basketball program, and they're entering a season with high expectations. Uh, thanks for joining us here, Mike. Thanks. That must be why Jerry Sullivan wants to be here because of the high expectations, and he can find a way to rip another coach. <laughs> you know, you go back to what ninety three. Wouldn't be when the I, first time I wrote it's that twenty six years ago about you and Beeline. It's a template, yeah. and you yeah. lived up to him too. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. Uh, oh boy. Oh let, boy. Let me just ask you a, a very broad question here regarding your program. Uh, what's going to be a good season for you? Um. You know what, Tim, that's an interesting question because, yes, we do have high expectations and we, we think we can be pretty good, but um, we're still growing. We played two games out in Missouri, in St. Joseph's, Missouri. We were invited to the National Small College Hall of Fame uh, Invitational. It was a great thing. There were seven of the eight teams were ranked that were out there. And we started off by playing the number one team in the country, Northwest Missouri State, who had just lost to a team called uh, by the name of Duke by six points at, at Cameron Indoor. 
a few nights. But that's before. spelled D O O K, and it's something uh, like that. It's yeah, like yeah. an NAIA school, right? There you go. That, you, I would hope so, but unfortunately, no. It's the real Duke. So we, uh, um, you know, we knew we were, it was going to be a tough game for us, and you know, we didn't win. But at one point during the game, I looked out. We had one guy uh, who'd been here for a couple of years, and then four all new players. Um, so it, it's it, we still have uh, we have four returning starters that have had varying degrees of success, and then we have a bunch of new guys that have got to kind of catch up to speed. So um, I think we can be good, and I think our ceiling, the message I'm going to have today, tonight after we practice, the ceiling for this team is really high. Um, it's just going to take us a little while to get there. So I think in the end we want to be back in the NCAA tournament. You know, that's that's kind of how you know you measure success, and that's where we want to be. Um, for us, we'd want to be back in the NCAA tournament fighting to get a little further than we did last year. Um, People who went to St. Joseph, Missouri to cover the Small College Basketball Hall of Fame Classic had to have been thrilled to see Damon there just to mix things up because you open with Northwest Missouri State University and then follow up with Missouri Western State University. (laughs) Was it just the same guys in different uniforms? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, thankfully it wasn't because Northwest Missouri is really, really good. They, they were 38-0 last year, and they've won two out of the last three national championships. So uh, thankfully it wasn't. I don't know how happy they were to see Damon. The whole week we were there, they couldn't spell Damon correctly. It was a different spelling each night. It was pretty pretty awesome to see. <laughs> well, I went to Missouri, and the spelling was not the strength out there. It was, there it was, it was sports writing. Yeah, that and... Paying players, but that's okay. Go oh, ahead. Oh. <laughs> that that was good. So, but it's a good experience for your guys is that, to to bond like that, whether you win win or not, and, and uh, that early in the year, it's kind of a bonus, right? Those they, they yeah. didn't count against your your game total either, right? Ter- that's right. Those are exempted games, so it doesn't count toward our our twenty eight. So we actually get two extra games, and and then it also, you know, the bonding is without doubt. I mean, at one point we looked at, you know, we didn't. We didn't play great the first five minutes of the game against Missouri Western. We got down 10 points. We were down 17-7. And the last five minutes of the game, we were down 11, and we, we, you know, we got outscored by uh, nine points those last five minutes because, you know, you're playing the foul game, shooting threes and everything. And So if you look at those two, the first, 10, the first five and the last five, we were outscored by 19. In the, the meat part, the 30 minutes, it was 55-54. Um, and so there, we really did go toe to toe with them for a while, and that's without three of three of our senior starters only had like six or eight points combined, all three of them. So I think there's some really you know there's some really good things we could build on. And the other thing we talked about is that game was on November first. We have a game March first this year, a regular season game. Our last regular season game is March first, so that's a long season. You know, November, December, January, February, March, and. Uh, we we got a lot of lot of time to get better, a lot of time to work, and uh, um, I think we can do that. We're in conversation with Mike McDonald of Damon uh, Men's Basketball on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. And uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you. We were talking about here early in the season. Uh, you know these uh, these not exempt games, but these exhibition games that you get to play. You're you're able to play three of them, and two are against uh, prominent D1 schools. Obviously, the University at Buffalo, uh, and uh, and then Syracuse University. How do you use those games to prepare for the upcoming season? Because I think people may look at the score and try to make some sort of comparison. Are you comparing uh, apples to apples, or, or how do you view it, and, and how do you approach those games? 
Yeah, not really at all, Tim. Um, because the, the Division One at the Division One level, they could start. They could practice in the summer. They, you know, they're doing stuff starting in June, and they're going to you know eight hours a week in June. They're having practices. I talked to Jim Whitesell at one point in the summer. He's like, "Yeah, this is zone week for us. We're spending the whole week zone offense. That's all we're working on is zone offense." And meanwhile, we started practice October fifteenth. So we had exactly, I think, I think it was uh, seven practices before we played the UB Bulls. So we're in a different place than where, where they are, and that's okay. That's fine. It's, again, it's an experience thing. Jerry used the word experience, and that's what I've been using. It. It's tremendous. Um, you know, then, Sarah, then we had a day off. We had a practice, and then we, then we played Syracuse. And who, who you really need to have his own day to get ready for Syracuse. He his own week to get ready for Syracuse. So I think we were on our eighth day of practice by the time we had played Syracuse. But that's okay for us. It was good. It was it was a a chance for guys to play in the Carrier Dome and, and to experience that level and see what it's like. And uh, it, it's it, it's really what it's got to be about at, at this level. You know, the experience the guys got was tremendous. So we've we had a chance to play three different games. Um, against three totally different level teams, and it was uh, uh, it was good for us. It's going to make us better in the long run, and that's what I have to keep reminding myself. As much as you want to try and win, in the end, last year we lost to to Buffalo by about forty six points. We were down fifty, and we by the end, you know, it was the same deal. Short practice time, had a play. And by the end of the year, we were twenty four and six, and we were in the NCAA tournament for the first time in Dayton history. So for us, I, I think playing UB was was worth it. Haven't seen UB up close, Syracuse up close, especially with Buffalo, a team you've played every year for the past couple of years. You know, if you could put your television commentator hat on for us a little bit, what do you think <laughs> about these two teams and what kind of seasons they could have? I think uh, they're both going to be pretty good. I'll tell you a little story, Jonah. Um, we're driving back in the van, because that's how you travel in Division Two sometimes, right? So we're in the van on the way back, and I got some of the older guys in my van, and I said to them, hey, one game – to go to the NCAA tournament, you got to play Syracuse. You got to play Buffalo. Who would you rather play? And our guys, to a man, it was all the older guys said they'd rather play Syracuse. They thought that Buffalo was that tough. So I don't think people think that around here. I think they're like, oh, it's a rebuilding year. But I think they're pretty talented and they're really fast, really fast. I do think Syracuse has the best player, uh, Elijah Hughes. He is special. He's a pro. I mean, he's six seven. And honestly, Jim Beheim was very nice to us. He. Uh, he didn't play Elijah Hughes as much as he did. He could have, because if he did, he probably would have had 50. And I think he said that in his post-game press conference. Um, he could have had 50, and he, he probably could have. Mike, uh, Nate Oates had his first game for Alabama last night, lost to Penn. The Penn, the Penn you've, Quakers. You've, yeah, seen a lot of, you've seen a lot <laughs> of Ivy League ball. Your son was the captain at Penn. Tell the audience how that's not a shocker for you that that would happen. They are a really good team this year. And, uh, you know, they might not be picked early. To win the Ivy, but Steve Donahue is a great coach, and they have a big man, AJ Brodeur, who uh, can really score. And he's like a he's like a six eight kind of awkward shoots threes and scores in the post, kind of funny. Um, he's really good. And then they have another kid, Ryan Bentley, who uh, played with Matt, my son Matt, um, for two years, and then his junior year, right after, last year after Matt graduated. He came down first play, uh, first like first two minutes of the game at George Mason, and he uh, tore his patella tendon, and he had to sit out the whole whole year. But now he's back, and he's going to be a guy 
that will probably graduate from Penn and go play one year at a high major somewhere as a, as a grad transfer. Um, he's really, um, he's really good. So they, they're good. They're good. They got good players. They have a good system and they have a, they, they've kind of built, uh, you know, everybody uses the same damn word culture, but they, they've kind of, they've kind of built that culture and the belief that they can win and they can play in that, le- at that level. And, uh, not not surprising me at all, especially because Alabama is, you know, just just starting out. They really are. Mike, to bring the conversation full circle before we let you go, uh, I want to ask you about Andrew Cisco, and uh, he's a guy who, in those two exhibition games, really seemed to hold his own. Uh, he still has uh, in the year after this one, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's a junior. Um, yes, he is. And uh, six foot nine, two hundred and forty pound kid, or at least that's how he's listed. Best uh, big man in Buffalo, I think. Well, that's why I was going to ask what makes him so good because I think he he does seem like a, a hidden gem. He's got it's a great story, and I had the privilege and honor of coaching uh, Gerald Beverly my first year at Damon. Gerald played a couple years in the G League, was in a lot of NBA camps, and was really a um, was really explosive player. And and uh, Andrew's freshman year, he was playing. And I had Mark Capola who was my assistant. Mark played at Will South and was a great player at Damon for. Don Silveri and Mark, Mark, um, Mark was my assistant. And I said, "Geez, if Andrew keeps going like this, he's going to be better than Gerald." And all of a sudden, Mark, who was best friends with Gerald, said, "Coach, he's already better than Gerald." And he's six, Andrew is six nine. He was a heavy kid in high school. He was overweight, and no Division one offers, no Division two offers, other than Damon. It was the Division a lot of Division three coaches thought we were crazy to take him, but he, to his credit, and it's a great story. He got himself in shape before he even got to school. Like we kind of knew, hey, we might have to redshirt him. He's not in great shape, but he got himself in tremendous shape. He has very good hands. He has really good feet, um, and he has a passion to get better. Um, he's got a good touch around the basket. Not a great three-point shooter yet. I think that's the next step in the evolution of Andrew Cisco. But um, he, he has, does a lot of different things that you like a traditional big guy to do. And so we play. You know, we play different than people. Now you see everybody's coming down just shooting threes. We're one of these teams where you got a big guy and you throw it inside to him early and let him try and establish the game and let teams have to worry about double-teaming them and, and figure out how we're going to score after that. Andrew Sisko, 28 points, 12 rebounds against UB, 15 points, 12 rebounds against Syracuse. So a couple of double doubles against a Division One opposition for Andrew Sisko. And, and how about against against Buffalo? He missed five free throws, which he's usually a very good, reliable free throw shooter. And he and he didn't play. I took him out with the six minute mark, and I, I said to him, you know, I probably could have let you get thirty, but we have another game coming up. And he was like, Yeah, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever. And then and he was great. And then at Syracuse, he actually missed a dunk and a, uh, a gimme layup. That he sounds uh, awful. He'd like that. He'd like to have back. That all of a sudden, you know. So all of a sudden, those numbers could have been even better. You know, as impressive as those numbers are for late October, you know, when you're not really in game shape yet, you know, you look at it where he, you know, if he were playing that game, probably those games later on, he probably even had more. That, that 28 and 12, no opponent got those numbers against UB the last three seasons. No kidding. Wow. Wow. Some pretty good yeah. big men in the MAC. Watch out, Jonah. Because you'll be trying to get all these Division One guys, try and recruit them right off our campus, aren't you? I'm just trying to recruit them for my summer league. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think your summer league team could use some help, Jonah. We got time for one more. We gotta... I've I've seen the people who come into the bar after the games <laughs> from Jonah's team, and I can tell just by looking at them that uh, no amount of help is gonna is gonna matter. 
You no. guys haven't seen basketball until you've seen Jonah, Jonah Bronstein lean the fast break. It's, something, <laughs> it's a sight to behold. <laughs> Jerry, you even more entertaining than watching me do it? Yeah, definitely better. No, I definitely went to uh, ask you about B- Beeline because I had a the top columnist in Cleveland on this morning, and he said it's the opposite of Freddie Kitchens, that the Hoop fans <laughs> love him, and they, they think they've got the real deal there. So you're happy to hear that and have you talk yeah. to him? Yeah, I have uh, just exchanged texts recently. Um, you know, it's just a different schedule now. But he he is, uh, you know, he is. He's, he's getting it done. I, it reminds me a lot, Jerry, of his first year at, at Canisius. Mm-hmm. Where he's playing guys and he's kind of figuring out who's going to fit into the way he wants to play, and watch, um, you know, watch who who fits, who can do it, and then the interesting thing is to see what they'll do trade wise in February. But you look at guys like Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, who he's obviously connected with and have bought into him, and are playing and doing, you know, that's it's awesome to see. So he's. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised. They're they're playing really hard, and it, it reminds me a lot of when Brad Stevens went to the Celtics at first, and people were kind of saying, "Oh, I don't know if he can do it." But then they they didn't necessarily win right away, but they competed like crazy, and then they got some young draft picks, and the draft picks were pretty good, and then they built, and they, then they got winning, and uh, I think you'll see that with Cleveland pretty soon over the next couple of years. Uh, your son Nick started uh, the exhibition game up in Niagara last week. What do you think about the opportunity he has up there and, and what that team can accomplish in kind of a uh, unique situation this year? Um, yeah, it's a unique situation, obviously, with everything that's gone on. But he's very happy. I mean, he really likes Greg Paulus, and Coach Paulus has done a, a nice job and a, a, as difficult a situation as you're going to find. So uh, I don't know. You know, I, I think just for, for Nick, I'm really happy for him to uh, be able to, to prove that he could play at that level. And uh, I think he can. And it's going to, you know, there's going to be some ups and downs. It's normal, you know, freshman year. That's what happens. And uh, he'll, but he'll, he'll stay to it. And he's been uh, very good. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was glad, I was proud they brought him to the press conference. You know, you guys ought to like that as media members, you know. Another McDonald's that you get to listen to, just what you want. He's the best talker of the bunch. That's scary. That is scary. <laughs> that is. <laughs> Mike McDonald, men's basketball coach at Damon. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. Always great to talk with you, and uh, look forward to when you can stop by the studio. Thanks, Tim. Anytime, and looking forward to it, too. Bye, that Mike. was Mike McDonald on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Uh, when we come back, more Bills talk. We'll get into some Sabres. We have Ty Nasecki of the Buffalo Bills. He'll be joining us. Uh, and also Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to discuss how it is that the Buffalo Bills at 6-2 and two can be an underdog to the 2-6 and six Cleveland Browns. That and much, much more on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. I'm Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham Show. Yes. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole 
uh, over the weekend. Right. Not Misohonia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Let Maul taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. For all your accounting, litigation, acquisition, and merger needs. Make sure you call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Jonah Bronstein, that's where he gets all of his tax and liability and assurance work and, done. And horse racing tips. And horse racing tips. Gene Kirshner gave you the winner last week right here on the Tim Graham Show before he even made it out to Santa Anita. He had some nice pictures down at uh, Santa Anita, too. I saw him posting them up. The weather looked a lot nicer than western New York. Yeah. Horse died, though. Go, go figure. We talked about it. It was it was discussed right here on the show. Matthew Fairburn of the <laughs> Athletics here. You think you might be beating a dead horse to death, though? <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Associates. He's here also, as is Bobby Rosati of uh, Bobby Rosati Production Inc. Do you have any? Do you do outside work? Are you allowed to do outside work, Bobby? Uh, I am allowed to. Uh, I do not. I see. Yeah. Do you have a name of? Uh, are you going to start up of like a production company <laughs> or? I haven't put much thought into the name. There but, are so many uh, people here in this building, here at uh, Cumulus, who do outside work. You know, DJing. Oh yeah. And yeah. uh, whatever. Yeah, kind of part of the job, part of the. But you uh, haven't done experience. any of that. No, no, I pretty much take care of the in- in-house stuff. So you're the guy who holds down the fort. Literally, yeah. Literally. Well, it, it, yeah. I mean, sometimes figuratively. Little, say figuratively. This I'm is sorry. not a fort. Right. Good like, thing Jerry's not here. If you have a true, like a cushion fort. Yeah. Make with your pillows and couch I'll cushions. That, that kind of fort. <laughs> Bobby goes home and crawls in his little fort. Just to hold it down. Yeah. It's vape for it. It's all smoked out. What's the latest in vape news these days? The vaping crisis. Yeah. A, a misguided vaping crisis, too. Oh, because you think so? I think so. Is a it lot fake of news? It's, it's fake news, mainly because uh, the vaping pods that they're talking about are actually uh, THC, homemade THC vaping pods that are killing people. That's the common thread. And Exactly. Well, I mean, you get a few jewels here and there that... It's Probably not good you're taking in that much nicotine at one time uh, over and over again. You know, you're breathing through it. But, um, yeah, it's it's usually the THC ones you got to stay away from. So it hasn't deterred you is what you're saying? No. Nope. I, uh, actually, I bought a new one the other day because mine broke. It hasn't deterred him. And Lee, Lee Smith on this show last week said there are no turds on the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> well, it's right. a misguided crisis, and Bobby won't be misguided. You're right. Exactly. I, I'm not going to be taken down the wrong. Are you like Lindsey Graham, my uncle Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, who says he's not even going to read the transcripts <laughs> because it's all a sham and he doesn't. Was, he all, to, he knows it's all a corrupt process. Why would I want to read the transcripts? Uh, around, yeah, pretty much. I did. I You're going to dismiss it right out of hand. Yeah, it, there's really no reason to. I've um, 
I've been using this for a while now, so I don't I don't think I'm in any danger. Tim, right. that sounds like you at like the media days. They hand out the transcripts. You're like, I'm not even going to read this. <laughs> I know what they say. All lies. That's right. <laughs> I don't I don't trust I don't trust where these uh, quotes came from. This corrupt process. So the Buffalo Bills are going to Cleveland. Matt Fairburn, we didn't get your thoughts. We we talked. Uh, we did a little prediction talk when Jerry was in here. I'm not big for picking games. We always kind of make fun of people who pick games. Mm. But we do bring in Joel Staniszewski, and we do talk about the spread and reputation and, and that type of thing. I'm not telling you who to pick. Uh, Jerry is talking a little bit about it from a reputation standpoint as a guy who's been in Buffalo for however many years Jerry's been here, 30 years covering sports and how this game, this feels like a game the Bills lose, even though that really doesn't have anything to do with this current team. But I think the fans are expecting, you know, the the Bills to go into Cleveland and slip on a banana peel. Yeah, I think there's a lot of angst about the Cleveland Browns, which is odd given their reputation and their record. Uh, they've got a, a reputation for slipping on a banana peel once in a while themselves. I think this is a game that the Bills should win, but I also get that feeling that it might be a game that the Browns kind of scratch and claw and and pull themselves out of this rut that they're in. I'm not very good at picking games, so I don't know how much weight what I say holds in terms of whether they'll win or not because it's not easy to pick games, and we've found that out firsthand. Um, it gets a little bit tricky, so I think – that's one of the great things about working at the athletic. We don't pick games. We're right. not asked to pick games. We don't have a segment. Although I do have to pick the games for Channel Four. I was I asked that. to pick the game by the Browns beat writer for that little crossover. <laughs> They're roping us preview. into. We can't escape so. it. People, nobody should care what we think about who's going to win this game. Like, what do we know? Right. I can't tell the future. It's like when people ask me what their record's going to be. Are they going to be good? Right. I, I don't know. That's not, I'll you wouldn't when be they're good. This. I'll write right. about it. Regardless of what happens, yeah. When so, whatever it. happens on the field on Sunday, that's what I'll write about. Right. I, I I'm not in the uh, fortune telling business here. I try not to be. I do. Uh, wait, I'm getting a premonition actually. Mm. Well, so what you do is you pick the bills every week, and then when they lose, you can kill them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's one way to go about it. I'm getting a premonition, and I, th- I, I predict that within the next 10 seconds, we will be joined on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline by Bill's right tackle. Mm, let's see. It's coming in. Ty and Secchi, I think, will join us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Is Ty, is Ty and Secchi there? I think so. Yep. See, I can tell the future. <laughs> see, now I should go ahead and pick the games. Ty, thanks for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. Ty, it's, uh, it's been a wild ride here so far. Uh, if you're a Bills fan, uh, with, and, of course, this is your first year with the team, you have no uh, fingerprints on anything that came before it, whether it was the 17-year playoff drought or making it to, into the playoffs in dramatic fashion a couple of seasons ago. Uh, it's a fresh mm-hmm. season for you. Um, what's your impression on the fact that the team is 6-2, and two, and yet, whether it's in the locker room today or, or where have you, uh, there are people who wonder how good the team really is and maybe aren't enjoying being 6-2. and two. Well, 
Why is it uh, that teams really don't understand what they have until about this time of year? And I don't think that that's unusual for the Bills. I think that's a pretty common thing. Maybe it's even a cliche in the NFL that you really don't know what you have until about this time of year. And yet you guys have been together since, well, since well before training camp because there's mini camp and OTAs and all those things. What takes so long for the things to kind of shake themselves out around the league? Well, you know, you, you, you kind of get – stuck in your ways from the beginning. You know, you have a plan put in place from what you want to do from OTAs to mini camp to training camp, and that's how you want to start the season. And, you know, it kind of takes a few a few weeks to realize if it's going to work or if you need to scratch the game plan and, and go a different direction. And, you know, you, you really you can still make some roster moves and, you know, injuries happen. So, you know, around week eight, week nine, you really know, what your team is going to be down the stretch. So, you know, that's when you figure out the solidified unit and then, you know, you make the, the, the needed changes to game plans or, or what type of uh, style of play you want to play. And then, you know, that's how you attack the rest of the year. With that in mind, Ty, you're eight games in, you're six and two. I mean, what do you think the identity of this team is? What do you think you have? And, and what, what do you guys want to be as a team down the stretch? Uh, we're a reflection of the city, you know, we're a blue collar team, you know, we'll get down and dirty with the best of them, you know, drag, you know, keep it close, keep it tight and drag our opponent into the fourth quarter and, and you know, submit our will. Ty, and that's, uh, that sounds like the type of thing that really uh, gets an offensive line going. Let me ask you about your unit's identity because you have had success. Uh, even uh, a lot of people probably would not have expected Frank Gore to, be able to, and I'm talking about just people in general, you see that he's 36 years old, uh, and mm-hmm. if Devin Singletary were to go down and LaShawn McCoy's already off the team, uh-oh, uh, Frank Gore, can he really do it? Well, he did it, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, he was able to pile up a lot of yards. Devin Singletary comes back and, and shows what he's able to do. Uh, and yet, mm-hmm. uh, in Sunday's game, the the short yardage situations, I know that that's a, a big source of pride for you guys. I get how how do you digest your the the identity from a run game standpoint and where you are coming off that game on Sunday? Um, I, I'm not exactly sure of the exact amount of numbers we had. I believe we were over 100 yards rushing. So that that in itself, you know that that to me is a is a positive. So I mean, as I take it, I mean we had a couple of miscues on the goal line. You know, it took more than more than one opportunity to get in there. But, I mean, you know, those things you learn from. You know, we haven't really executed those type of play calling all season. You know, when we get down only to the red zone, we've been a pass-first offense. So, you know, it was just putting us in a different position, you know, that we haven't been put in before. And now that we've been put in that position, we know the next time that we'll execute it better and, you know, 
you will have a better outcome as well. So, I mean, I'm not really concerned about, you know, the fact that maybe what I think we had what on that one goal line uh, opportunity, it took us three times to get into the end zone. You know, that, that, you know, that's a good defense, you know? So, I mean, Hey, <laughs> my hat, my hat tips off to them. You know, there's a lot of early, uh, early round guys on that, on that defensive front. So, you know, that's not, that's even though their record is what their record is, they're not a layover by no means, you know? So, I mean, it, you know, it is what it is. At the end of the day, you know, you're gonna. This is the NFL. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna have to do overcome, you know, obstacles in order to get to where we're trying to go. We're in conversation with Bills right tackle Ty Inseki on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Uh, Ty, uh, a dangerous opponent, maybe a wounded animal. Uh, Cleveland uh, two and six. Uh, you're going into Cleveland after three straight games at home, and I guess you want to count the bye week. It's been a long time since you guys have been on the road. Uh, how does that mentality shift for you as you go from being comfortable and able to you know, sleep in your own beds and, and get in that routine to having to get ready to go into a, another team stadium and try to make a point? Uh, we take the show on the road. You know, We just got to keep doing what we've been doing and you know, just have our game travel with us. I mean, we just have to keep moving. You know, this opponent is a good opponent, minus the record. You know, this this is a talented group on the on the defensive end. So I mean, we just got to go out there and execute, and you know, keep doing what we we established so far. You know, we established since last game that we were gonna eliminate uh, pre snap penalties, and that we were gonna stop killing ourselves on early downs. And you know that's that's the mindset that we have going throughout the rest of the season. You know, we go out there and execute build football. We should come out victorious. Now, I'm a native Clevelander, so I think I can say this with conviction that uh, the Bills fans, given the or I'm sorry, Browns fans, given the expectations that were heaped on this team, cover of Sports Illustrated and the NFL Preview Edition, all the money that was bet in Vegas that the Browns were going to win the Super Bowl, and uh, and the and the expectations that the Browns put on themselves. Uh, they're going to mm-hmm. come back from Denver, and they're going to see some fans uh, with – first off, there's probably going to be a lot of Bills fans in attendance uh, because mm-hmm. secondary market, I don't. I think Browns fans are probably giving up their tickets. The Browns fans mm-hmm. who do show up, you're probably going to see some bags on their heads. You know, they're going to have uh, – they're going to be ready to boo that team. Mm-hmm. How do you factor in trying to make a play or do something right away to turn that kind of – it could kind of turn into a home game for you? Uh, because I think things are on the verge of collapse there in Cleveland. Well, that's that's outside noise. We don't we don't really worry about you know what what goes on outside of these, these walls here in Buffalo. I mean, we're just trying to execute our game plan and you know play the best football we can play and just keep stacking wins. That's, I, that's all we can we can control. I predict that you will hear a lot of cheers for you guys at various points throughout that game. It's, 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 it's going to be an inter- just an interesting dynamic for me, and we're going to be up in the press box behind glass. We can't really hear it, but I think I'll, I'll check in with you after the game. But I, I think okay. that the, uh, the, the tide of the ebb and flow of the fans that are there could be really interesting. Well, I mean, I've witnessed the, the the fandom. You know, I've seen how how well Bills fans traveled when we went to Tennessee. I've seen how it was the stadium was packed full of Bills fans. So I, I I'm aware, and seeing that Cleveland is not too far from here, I'm aware <laughs> that that stadium is going to be packed with Bills fans. I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware of that. Ty, along those lines, I mean, 
regardless of you know what happens with the crowd or or how they respond what has it done for you guys in the games you know as an offense that you are able to get off to that fast start and put a team on its heels and and you know maybe you're running the ball more and you're playing from in front uh, as opposed to early in the season when you were uh, playing catch up quite a bit oh well that's been the mindset from day one, you know, to, to be a pace setter, you know, to set the, the tone of the ball game, you know, come out, score fast, and, you know, and often. You know, it, it, unfortunately, we weren't able to do that a few times this year because, you know, we shot ourselves in the foot. But we're trying to, you know, we're trying to mend those mistakes and, and keep keep a, uh, the, the goal at hand, um, keep that going going into this game, you know, kind of come out quick and, and nullify because, you know, they're explosive offense. You know, they got a lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball. But we're trying to nullify that as much as possible, help our defense out, you know, because they've been tremendous this far. What's it been like for you this season? Uh, you know, you're getting your, kind of your first opportunity to be um, a starting player and a, a player who's playing a big role, but you're also – uh, rotating a little bit with with Cody Ford, mm-hmm. and I know you got uh, all the snaps last week. But what's that dynamic been like? Is it is it tricky at all as an offensive line to sort of stay in your rhythm when when you're rotating? Well, it's not the easiest. I, I'll say that it's, it's not. But I'm you know I'm I'm helping you know helping Cody as much as I can understand you know the ins and outs of you know just being an NFL uh, professional and just you know. Whatever he has questions about, I try to help answer him on the sideline and, you know, give tips and, and cues what I see. And, you know, just we just go in there and, you know, we alternate whatever series we alternate. And I try to do the best I can with that situation. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not complaining at the situation. You know, it is what it is. So, you know, hopefully that we can continue doing the best that we can with it. And, you know, it'll help us keep winning down the stretch. What do you do – on those series where you're not, you're not in. What, what do you do to stay fresh? Because it's probably different than anything you've uh, experienced in the past. Usually, you're either, um, you know, backing somebody up or you're or you're starting mm-hmm. and playing most of the, the reps. I mean, what is it? What have you learned about kind of those the downtime and how to occupy it to make sure you're uh, ready to go and and you know not have not coming in cold, so to speak. Man, that's that's the key. Like that's the hardest thing, especially now that the weather's starting to. The, the degrees are starting to drop. Um, just trying to stay warm on the sidelines, trying to stay loose, you know, as best as I can. I mean, it's, it's hard, but, you know, the best as I can, you know, I use, try to use the, the facilities, the, the warm bench, the heater, you know, I try to do whatever I can, try to just stay loose as best as I can. We've been visiting here with Bill's right tackle, Ty Secchi on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. And uh, before we let you go here, Ty, I just wanted to ask you uh, – Noticed here in your uh, Q&A that appears in the Bills Media Guide, uh, it asks you about a unique talent. And it says you mm-hmm. used to sing a lot before your voice got too low. But yeah. uh, listening yeah. to this uh, interview, uh, I want to know how yeah. good your Barry White impersonation is. Oh, man, I haven't sang in years. I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't, you can't give me to sing right now. I'm not going to lie. No, no, no. I don't want you to sing on the air. I'm just, I get a sense that you could probably pull off some Barry White. I probably, I probably could if I, you know, if the move was right. I probably could. Or some Lou Rawls. Maybe, maybe, especially if it was a, a young lady on the other line. You know? I see. Well, no, no, no. I, I wasn't trying. I wasn't trying to us to have some kind of connection. Let's say, yeah, like maybe a karaoke. I'm sure you've done karaoke, right? 
<laughs> no, nah, not too much. Not get out of here. I don't, I, you know, I'm shy, man. I, I get nervous. I, I don't try to. I can't put myself out there like that. All right. Well, I'm not going to try to. I'm not going to try to coach you into doing anything too embarrassing. I was just asking for fun, man. I, I'm not trying to get you to sing. I, we don't have the. We're not going to cut a 45 and start selling. Ty and Seki sings blue rolls. This clip might get out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ty, thanks for joining us. I appreciate uh, you giving us your time to talk about the Bills. What's going on on the offensive line? Uh, this game Sunday at Cleveland. It's. Uh, I think it's a game where people are going to learn an awful lot about the Bills. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. Ty Inseki, Bills right tackle. And uh, he was great on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back, we're going to have some more Bills talk and maybe get into some Sabres. We have Joel Staniszewski joining us on the line from Vegas to talk about uh, some wagering analysis. All that and more after this break on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Oh, the interview, OJ told Tim he's a positive person. You want to hear that? Okay. All right. Whether or not there are words or not. <laughs> Sports Radio 1270. The Doug or not. The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. Silver anniversary. That's you a get them? silver anniversary. You got to get them some new silver? I, I'll get them, yeah. I'll get them maybe a, pla- like a tea set. Sterling silver. That sounds nice. I mean, no joke. Let's go big or go home, right? Let's go not big, not home, but to Vegas for Joel Staniszewski. From Buffalo to Las Vegas, Joel Staniszewski. The bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flash. Joel Staniszewski's joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Joel, I, I actually misspoke. I said it is not going big or going home. It is big. It's always big when Joel Staniszewski's on. I hope so. We missed you last week. We ran over. We apologize. It's like the what up with that skit on SNL where they always run out of time for Lindsey Buckingham. <laughs> I, I do. I, I happened to look at my phone earlier today uh, when you had texted me, and I remember the text that I'd sent you. You said, hey, we're running a little late. We're not going to be able to do this, the, 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 the segment. Can you send me what the pick is? And I told you, take the Bills minus nine and a half and take the World Series game seven over. And those two were winners. Yes, they were. And it, depending on how you bet, you could have turned that into a parlay. You could have parlayed. Online. Here's the thing, Joel. 
uh, people are confused. And rather than me try to do some kind of slapdash question about why the two and six Browns are favored over the six and two Bills, can you just give your uh, your synopsis, your summation as a gambling analyst, as a handicapper, as an odds maker, all the things that you've done, you can sum this up and quell the curiosity of a lot of Bills fans. Uh, it is very strange uh, for a, a team that is six and two to be playing a team that's two and six without any significant injuries. Uh, to be favored is extremely strange. Now, we always have to factor in that a home team uh, is worth about four points. Uh, but still, even with that being the case, that, that line is, is too high, in my opinion. Well, let me stop uh, you for line, a second, Joel, yep. because home team being worth four points. It used to be three. When did it become four? It's three or four. It, it's, it's uh, you know, you can, you can say either number and it not be wrong. We'll say three and a half for the sake of argument. Okay. Um, and it, it, to me, it's, it's still wrong. Um, when the, I was expecting the line to be close to like a pick 'em. Cleveland may be a really, really small favorite, no bigger than one. So when it came out two and a half, I was like, cool. I can't wait for the money line to come out so I can bet it before it, it, it moves. So the line came out as uh, plus a dollar twenty. So I bet it as soon as I could, and it has gone up. Now it's at a plus a dollar thirty-five at some places. Uh, so to me, it's just, so the, the bookmakers, obviously what they want to do is they want to get equal action on both sides. Uh, the bills are a, uh, although they're six and two, people are going to say they're a bad six and two. And although Cleveland's two and six, they're going to say they're a good two and six because of their talent level. Uh, you know, with Baker Mayfield, with OBJ, with Kareem Hunt coming back with, uh, Chubb, with, uh, Landry. Uh, Jarvis my, Landry, yeah. I mean, that, they have Miles Garrett. They have they have so much talent on their team, and they're just playing bad football. Uh, so that's that's the main reason uh, why that line is the way that it is. Uh, I'm shocked that it hasn't been bet down, and to, to, to the fact that it was bet up is is mind blowing to me. Is it just then reputation? It is um, because people out there, the casual better. Uh, knows names on the on the Browns roster, and they don't know who, for instance, uh, Devin Singletary and uh, Tommy Sweeney are. Right, and and that you can look at um, whenever they post the numbers for jersey sales. When you see Odell Beckham Jr., Dawson Knox, like, I guess I should have said. <laughs> right, Tommy when you Sweeney. see those, when you see um, the popularity, uh, you see. Um, uh, Baker Mayfield in commercials all over the place. You see Odell Beckham Jr. always in the news talking about his $300,000 watch that he's wearing and his jersey sales. Those people are just they're just popular names. And so when you see the Bills, your your thought is, is well, they're the Bills. They're going to they're going to find a way to screw it up. And uh, that's why the number is what it is and that's why people I guess are still betting it. Uh, um, this game to me is for the Bills is a must-win game. When you look at the remainder of the schedule, that's where it starts to get hard. The Bills can conceivably lose four out of the last five games. Uh, so if we lose this game, that means we got to get one back that people are expecting us to lose, whether that's Dallas, uh, Baltimore, 
or Pittsburgh, who's who's still playing good football even without without Ben Roethlisberger. So this is, to, in my opinion, this is still a must-win game for Buffalo to to continue that uh, winning trend that we're on. Which I mean, you can look at the trends for this game. Uh, Cleveland is uh, two and nine against the spread. Their last eleven games as a home favorite. One and thirteen against the spread. Their last fourteen games as a home favorite against against a team with a winning record. The Bills are 4-0 and against the spread their last four games as an underdog and 6-1 and against the spread the last seven games as an underdog. So all the trends are going to tell you that the Bills are the play. They play well as an underdog. They play well on the road. They're playing consistent football. But again, if you watch the games, you'll see that the Bills have yet to play a full four-quarter game on both sides of the ball. And they're expecting Cleveland to be in desperation mode here and uh, that's why the line is the way that it is, and that's why people are betting it the way that they are. Joel, a little bit of a insider baseball question here, I guess, but as you're, you're talking about that line and you're talking about you know the reputation playing into it and the popularity of the Browns, the star power that they have, but when you see it get bet a certain way early in the week, what does that tell you? Because, I mean, the, the line is... You know, Vegas isn't going to lose money just because they see Baker Mayfield in commercials. The line is what it is for a reason, and it's getting bet a certain way for a reason. What does it tell you when you see action going a certain way early in the week? Uh, it's good to it's, you want to see who's betting it. Uh, you know, you can have somebody come in and just some some square guy who's loaded, like a mattress Mac or whoever they were talking about for the Astros. That guy can come in and lay. $2 million on the Cleveland Browns or a person like him, and they'll move the line to get action on both sides. But then you could have another guy coming in late $20,000 who's a sharp better or who's a runner for a sharp better, uh, and that will move a line even more than a $2 million bet. So the dollars amount or the tickets amount aren't as important as who the better is. Um, I, I haven't I talked to a director friend of mine at a book, and he was talking about how uh, this is their biggest year they've had in a decade for profits in the sports book uh, during the NFL season. And so action squares versus sharps is a, is a huge thing, which is why uh, sharp betters and, and runners, that's why they say they have limits. You know, your limit is 10000 on a game. But if some guy comes in, just some random poker player, or a casino, a big casino player wants to lay $2 million on a game, they'll let them all day long because these people are typically going to lose. You know, when you, when you see people like Floyd Mayweather is always talking about all his bets that he, he makes and how he bets $250,000 a side or $500,000 a side, that's way over limit. But I've dealt with him from a betting standpoint, and he's a, a loser. He's a lifetime, like, 12% loser. So you let him bet all day long, but these sharp guys—that's where you put those limits on of, of ten and twenty thousand or, or five thousand on a total, because their lifetime record is a lot higher. So does it raise your antenna at all when you're expecting a line to go one way? You're expecting it to go more towards the Bills, and it actually goes the other way, and you know people are betting the line up to the point or the money line up to the point where it's now a buck thirty-five as opposed to a buck twenty. Does that? give you any pause it does uh that's definitely a number that i will keep an eye on as the as the week goes on uh and see where where some sharp money comes in 
uh, uh, if you look at it again, like there's no reason to, that would tell you to play the Browns record uh, internally, the team imploding. Even if you look at the injury report from today, they have more people injured that are possibly not going to play than the Bills. Uh, there's nothing positive other than they're in desperation mode and uh, the star power name that they have on their team. How much money is Vegas going to make from all those uh, preseason Browns bets, do you think? <laughs> those futures bets, although I'm a, a participant, I bet futures all the time, is, uh, is, a, is a gold mine. Uh, the, the, the trouble that they came into was, uh, what, two years ago with the Golden Knights with futures? They were needed the Capitals to win the, the Stanley Cup. They couldn't get off of the Golden Knights, and, and that's the same because of the, of the location of the team. Uh, you know, people are going to bet the Patriots and that, but the Browns, they were the Browns and the Jets. They were down to like thirteen and fifteen to one uh, after all the trades and the signings and everything. And that's when the Bills got bumped up to one hundred and twenty-five to one. So I bet it a second time, and the Bills are now down to depending on where you look, fifty to seventy-five to one. They're the biggest odds for a team record-wise that's that good. I mean, their their odds are worse or better for the person who's betting them than, you know, teams that are, are four and four teams that are, you know, three and five, you're still getting better odds for the bills at six and two. What other values are out there right now? We're halfway into the season. Everybody's played at least eight games, Joel. What, what do you see out there for the remainder of the season? Maybe even want to stay away from various Super Bowl bets or those long-term props. Um, I, I guess, what are you into these days? I, I love to still bet games that are uh, big primetime games, uh, you know, Sunday night games, Monday night games that are uh, a, a close matchup or a, a rivalry because those games always go back and forth in scoring. Not always. Those times, uh, those games a lot of times will go back and forth. So I'll bet a, a money line, a, a, the dog money line uh, pregame, and then I'll just bet it throughout the, throughout the game. Uh, in running because what a lot of people do and you could do the same thing now that basketball season has started so many games in the nba and uh, as well as nfl have such big swings when it comes to momentum and everybody who bets in running a lot of those people bet what's happening in the game and those lines get affected because of that when you bet the other side of what's not happening expecting you know the the packers to come back expecting the jets to come back or the bills to come back when they're losing to the dolphins that's where you can really make some good money when you're betting. It's just you got to be consistent, and you have to roll with the punches. There's times where you can lose three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten games in a row. But long term, you can't just stop there, and you also can't bet in a way that is is you're betting with like scared money. You know where you're saying, "Well, I lost this game, so now I got to bet double this game to make my money back." Well, I lost that, now I got to bet quadruple to get my money back. You can't. You can't think like that. You have to just be a consistent better, and hopefully, in the long run, you'll be above that fifty-two and a half percent threshold to uh, be profitable. We're on the line from Vegas with Joel Staniszewski of Buff State and uh, longtime friend of the show here on the N Triple C Thunderwolves Hotline. And Joel, can you see any circumstance where the Bills are underdogs to the Miami Dolphins next week? No, I saw an early line that was uh, seven and a half. 
Uh, and that will fluctuate depending upon how the Bills play, depending upon how the Dolphins play. If they're unless they have a bye, I'm not I'm not sure what their schedule is. Um, but well, actually, I have it right in front of me. Uh, they're playing uh, Indianapolis as a ten and a half point dog. Miami is. Uh, so if Miami plays well, whether they win or lose, if they play well, put up points. Uh, the Bills, what they, what, depending upon what they do, it can fluctuate maybe a point to a point and a half. But uh, the Bills will probably be at minimum a six-point favorite and could go as high as, you know, nine and a half points. Joel, let me ask you this. Hypothetically, let's say there were a couple of guys traveling from Buffalo to Cleveland this weekend. They're, they're passing through Pennsylvania where mobile sports betting is legal. What, would, what are your favorite plays of the weekend? What would you advise these hypothetical gentlemen to bet on? <laughs> well, hypothetically, like I said, I love the Bills money line at plus a dollar twenty, so I love it even more at a dollar thirty-five. Uh, I do, I do listen to what people are betting, and I do follow trends, and I follow what sharp bettors are betting. So it's something that I'm going to uh, delve into deeper. Um, if these hypothetical gentlemen were interested in overall plays for the week as a whole, I can gladly text those hypothetical gentlemen a list of all the games that I really like. I couldn't give you any off the top of my head right now. I've been looking primarily at the Bills game, uh, but I'm always willing to talk weekly sports betting across across the anybody to anybody who wants to uh, hypothetically make some entertainment purposes only bets. Joel, do you have a hypothetical bookie you could give these guys so they don't have to drive out of state? Every <laughs> uh, I know that they're what well, they passed something in New York, but they're holding up on on mobile wagering. Uh, yeah, I think the probably... the handle that New Jersey uh, is pulling in will uh, will probably expedite any kind of mobile wagering in the state of New York because the money they, that New, that New Jersey's pulling in on sports betting is obscene. The only thing that would that holds up sports betting is is politicians and people who run illegal bookmaking. Because it's it's a multi billion dollar thing. I mean, uh, sports books in Las Vegas take we'll say ten billion dollars throughout the course of the of a football season, and those underground bookies have got to make five to ten times that. So there's a lot of money in play. There's a lot of people that are getting paid off. I'm sure to slow things down uh, because it's a it's a very profitable business. And why would you want to let the government or the state take over that when you yourself can do it and make tons of money doing it. Hey, Joel, real quick, uh, I know that you you like bills on the money line. Do you, is there a specific stat or two that that bolsters uh, your opinion for that? Like I said, the, the trends are, are telling us that the bills are are, are going to are, have should win this game. When you look at how much, how well they've played this year, how poorly Cleveland has played, how poorly Cleveland has played at home, uh, when you see players fighting on sidelines and, and, and arguing and you know, yelling at media members and threatening to kill people when they uh, publishing their address online to come to come uh, fight them or whatever. No, I mean, now just... he got cut. <laughs> but still, that attitude. That was a guy who that... played every snap last week. He's no longer on the team. We didn't, right. we didn't even talk about that today. Yeah, uh, I've looked at. I have a couple different uh, forecasting sites that I go to and simulation sites, and the game it should be close. But when you look at. Um, again, the star power on both sides of the ball. The Bills have had some trouble stopping the run. Uh, Browns can definitely move the ball on the ground, especially with Kareem Hunt uh, coming off of his suspension. He's not going to be 100% game ready, but he's still a great player. 
Uh, so the Bills can uh, slow down the run, and Cleveland is prone to give up the run. So if the Bills can run the ball and play consistently like they did against Washington, uh, I don't see any reason why the Bills can't win this game, even though they are a, a strange two-and-a-half to three-point underdog. Joel, thanks so much for joining us and giving us your thoughts on this game. Always valuable information, and it's doubly valuable if you put your money behind it. Because, Joel, exactly. well, well, you could have made a bunch of money had you listened to the Tim Graham show last week. Maybe we'll get some Joel hypothetical Joel had two texts. winners. Gene Kirshner had a winner. We were a bunch of wieners. Thanks for joining us, Joel, on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College, Joel. I would if I didn't already uh, finish my college and live 2,500 miles away. Come and get an associate's at NCCC because it's a winning team. Come be a part of a winning team, Joel. Haven't you lost enough? <laughs> All right. Joel Stanishevsky on the line from Vegas. Thanks, Joel. Thanks. All right, Bobby, what are we supposed to do here? We're backed up with break. Should we just say goodbye and... Well, why don't we chat and we'll uh, we'll break when you guys are ready and we'll we'll put all the breaks into one. I'll just say goodbye nice to everybody. I'll give like perfect. Bobby's making up rules. Uh, just kinda <laughs> perhaps <laughs> adjusting. Hey, we do have a long list of thanks because we did have several guests on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline today. Joining us today were Mike Rodak of AL.com to talk about the Alabama LSU game this weekend, as well as Nate Oates and his. Uh, Alabama uh, basketball debut last night that didn't go too well. We had Mike McDonald from Damon Men's Basketball join us to talk about his program and also what's going on in Western New York hoops. We had, of course, Joel Staniszewski, Ty Secchi of the Bills, uh, the right tackle, who talked to us about uh, Sunday's game against the Browns, what's going on with the offensive line. Jerry Sullivan was in studio. My thanks to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, to Jonah Bronstein, to Bobby Rosati. Anything else? Final, uh, Jonah, I give you the final words. Goodbye and good night. Thanks for listening to the Tim Graham Show on. Definitely <laughs> not the final words. I have to. I have to give the sign up. How about this? Let me. Let's start over. You've been listening to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Bisson, and Kirshner, CBAs, and Public. Take three. Oh, was, we almost got through without so you screwing it up. I'm trying. I'm laughing as I'm saying it because I'm going to give you the final words again. <clears throat> Coming down in three, two. You've been listening to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Jonah, final words. Goodbye and good night. <laughs>